105, Wednesday afternoon. Nothing more unnerving than sitting at your desk and it's sounding like the sky is literally falling on the building you work within. Yeah. <laughs> but we could hear the rain coming down pretty good in the last hour off and on, depending on where you are. I suspect anywhere you are in southern Manitoba right now, you're getting wet somehow, some way. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this first day of summer. Yes. What a magical first day of summer. It's gray and raining. Mm-hmm. Gray and raining, indeed. Uh, we mentioned that we were going to talk about a bunch of different things when we were on with Hal just a few minutes ago, including this Daniel Day-Lewis story. And it's crazy that I had pulled a clip from what was really a bad movie, The Crucible, starring Daniel Day-Lewis and I think Winona Ryder, based on an article I'd found about the cemetery in um, Salem, Massachusetts, and that ties to the book, The Crucible, and now the movie, and we're going to talk about the worst and best books that you were forced to read in school. We're going to tie that all together, but before we do that, on this first day of summer, David Phillips joins us now. He uh, is Senior Climatologist at Environment Canada. Really needs no introduction. You just have to say David Phillips. Any real Canadian will know who he is and why he's on the air. David, uh, happy summer solstice. Well, thanks, guys. I I appreciate that. And, uh, boy, I wish we would have had some of your weather. Not the rain. Uh, We've had a lot of that. But um, certainly, I think you've had a a real taste of of summer, Uh, not in the last week or so, but certainly at the beginning of the month. uh, I think people felt that it was the beer drinking muscle shirt and tank top times you know and uh, and it was at the beginning but uh, hey it's uh, I'm uh, nice to be aboard and to uh, uh, to talk about the uh, first day of summer so do you think you could sort that out for us because the last few days have been decidedly cool I was at baseball yes. the other night Monday night and it was downright cold by the time 830 rolled around Sure. Like, you know, I mean, I think that certainly uh, you get those spells in. Now, when we issue our forecast to say it looks like a warmer than normal summer, which is what we're saying for, for Manitoba, it doesn't mean every day. I mean, people think, oh, my gosh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's cold today. Well, you get those days in the, in the summertime. But uh, overall, I think the month has come out to be a degree warmer than normal and precipitation way down. I looked at the number of days, say, I would call warm days above 28. You've had seven of those guys, and and three would be normal. But again, they are all packed at the beginning of the um, of the month, and towards the end, it's been a little bit more inclement weather and and coolish. But hey, that's that's normal. That's not as if we're cancelled summer at all. In fact, this week uh, I wouldn't go by this week as terms of the personality of the uh, of the summer. We see temperatures that could be four or five degrees uh, cooler than normal, but hey, uh, most sunshine, and in the sunshine, you get some uh, bonus warmth there, so it's not as if it's uh, it, you have to put jackets on necessarily. But, but we think that um, June uh, that uh, June is pretty well described as above, that is a little cooler on the way out, but we think July and August uh, and into September will be uh, warmer than, than normal. And is that what we should expect then for the rest of June, a little bit cooler than normal? 
Yeah, I think that um, I think that today is like a rock and roll and kind of a day, and um, and that is not something we see over the next uh, ten days. We see, you know, uh, maybe a thirty percent chance of a shower come come Saturday, but we see a lots of great Manitoba sunshine, wall to wall sunshine. But temperatures, you know, highs today uh, this time of the year should be around twenty four, and you know we're going to see like twenty, maybe my gosh, maybe eighteen, and then twenty six on Monday and 25. So I think as we move along in the next seven days, things are going to improve. But I don't think you're going to have that rip-roaring kind of weather that uh, you've had to have today. There is, uh, in fact, a severe thunderstorm watch out for uh, uh, southern Manitoba with some possibly strong winds. I mean, a little bit of active weather. But uh, once we that gets through tonight, I think uh, the coast is clear for some uh, some dry weather. And, you know, I have a, like, a, like a week like we see coming up, you can almost plan your week. I mean, you could say, well, hey, let's go golfing on Sunday or Monday and, and you know, have a pretty good chance that that's what's going to be. Here in the East, we just haven't had any of that. It's been very fickle and fitful and you just can't plan your day because, you know, it's uh, uh, some sun and rain all on the same day, just a day after day, rather monotonous. But you guys have had um, had a good, um, a good spring. Uh, precipitation's been down. Uh, it's been uh, warmer than, uh, than normal and uh, I think it's uh, pretty delightful. David Phillips joining us now. We're talking and celebrating the first day of summer. I'm looking at the forecast out in the Okanagan Valley. I've got friends there, used to live there, David, and they're winning the competition right now as to who's having the nicer summer. So I'm hoping that we can tip the scales back in Winnipeg's favour. I always say the Okanagan's the only place in Canada that has nicer summers than Manitoba. I'd like to beat them every once in a while at that. <laughs> well, you're, you're right about that. But, you know, they've had, they've had it a little cool there. Today, yes, and and they're going to maybe get some of that that heat from the southwest. I hope not that warm, but uh, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, we uh, for rest of Canada, we we love it when uh, when there's nasty weather in British Columbia because they they stick it to us so much of the year. But uh, anyways, uh, Okanagan, you can't beat it, you know. And and guys, you know, I think a good indication of how delightful the Okanagan is is you have more weather professionals, meteorologists retiring in the uh, in the Okanagan than any other region of Canada. <laughs> and they've had a career of, of weird, wild, and wacky weather looking for something a little quieter. And uh, and so there there you have it. That may be the only validation I need to uh, purchase my next property, David. <laughs> hey, I have to ask you, you mentioned that yep. incredibly oh. hot weather in the southwest United States yep. to the point that some air travel was affected in the last couple of days, in particular yesterday. No, at least 40 flights out of Phoenix were grounded because, the plain and simply, it was just too hot. Some of the airplanes can't take off or land in that extreme heat. Uh, it, how unprecedented is this heat wave in the southwest? Well, we know, guys, that that is a warm spot. I mean, they do get heat waves, particularly at this time of the year. Um, you know, they, they it, believe it or not, they do get monsoony weather. Um, that is when you get uh, winds off of the ocean that will bring uh, precipitation into the dry southwest. But prior to that, uh, it's often this dome of of, of heat that builds up. It's like a high-pressure area. The air is sinking. It's drying out the surface, and there is no water to to evaporate. 
evaporate, uh, which helps to cool it off. And uh, but not in this case. There's it's bone dry, and it just gets warmer, warmer. And uh, and what we're seeing, of course, are record-breaking temperatures. I mean, they haven't they've either tied records or near broke them. Uh, and we've got several several decades of observation. So it is even in Death Valley. It's uh, I think I saw a 55 there um, uh, a day or so ago. And uh, but certainly in Las Vegas, can you imagine with the hockey celebrations tonight? Uh, uh, I, I hope we got the air conditioning uh, running. It's a bit of a contrast there, but certainly Phoenix, and we've had forest fires, uh, wildfires. We've had, of course, power outages. People are running their air conditioning just uh, uh, nonstop for for good reason. But at least it's the the heat, not the humidity. But under those temperatures, guys, doesn't matter. The humidity could be bone dry, and it's still uh, lethal uh, temperatures. Would you be better off having heat, uh, the dry heat or the humidity as mm. well? That's a good question. I, I think it's, I, I don't know the answer to that from a, from a health point of view. I think that, um, I think I would prefer the, the, the heat and the low humidity because, um, uh, but where, where the, because the body actually can, can try and, and and perspire and and uh, and that helps to cool it off. But in the steam bath heat and humidity of the tropics, for example, um, boy, that that's pretty taxing, and you can't evaporate it. And uh, and therefore, the, the the way the body actually cools off is through evaporation. It's like when you come out of the shower and you you feel kind of a chill. Well, that well, beads of water are evaporating, taking energy from the body, and that's why you feel a little chilly. Uh, but but certainly in a in a dry uh, a dry heat. It's. Uh, I think I'd prefer that than the uh, where the dew points are very high and the air temperatures high, and you're just there's just no relief in in, in sight. Yeah. Well, thanks for fielding that sort of spontaneous question there, David. I just was thinking uh, my first time in uh, Southern Ontario summer in in years, which was about when I was say 21 years old, and I went to Bell River, and it was the the hot spot in Canada. And I remember walking out of my motel room into what felt like a furnace uh, yeah. because it was, I think, 35 degrees and it was uh, as humid as I'd ever felt. I, my, oh. I started sweating instantly. Yes. No, I lived in that area, Windsor, and uh, for most of my uh, young, uh, as, a, as a youngster, and boy, I remember a lot of sleepless nights, tossing and turning, no air conditioning, and uh, it, it was just no relief in sight, and the elevated, the nighttime temperatures stay so elevated, and of course, the problem with the nighttime is the winds die down, so you don't get any kind of ventilation at all. No, I, I uh, would much prefer the uh, the, the hot days on the prairies where it's uh, it's dry. And then, of course, the other beautiful thing about prairie weather, when you get a hot day, it typically cools off at night. So uh, where, where when you have the uh, the kind of tropical kind of heat and humidity, there, there's no, no relief at all unless there's a weather system move comes through and, and chases all that weather away. Only 42 in Phoenix right now, but it's still uh, early there. It's still morning in the uh, desert southwest, 41 in Las Vegas. Uh, Before we let you go, David, we would remiss if we did not remind folks and talk a little bit that tomorrow is the 10th anniversary of the only F5 tornado ever recorded in Canada that took place frighteningly close to the city of Winnipeg, just west of us here on the Trans-Canada Highway at the town of Eli. 
Absolutely. You know, it's the only uh, uh, F5, EF5 that we've had in Canada. They get maybe in the United States one, maybe two a year, but that's the granddaddy one of them all for Canada. And I, 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 I just love to relive the stories of that, the, the, the almost the prankishness that that tornado uh, did uh, to community and, uh, and how lucky they were. Most of the people were, were at a, a high school graduation out of town, and I think that really saved a, a lot of people. But, but reliving that, guys, I, I was always amazed a couple of things. One, that people knew what to do. I mean, people in Manitoba are very respectful of the weather, and, and, and they just knew to go to a basement, cover yourself with a mattress, uh, or, um, you know, uh, I, I just think that when you think about what it did, sandblasted bark off trees, uh, took a transport trailer and turned it into a pretzel shape and then just tossed it to the ground like it was a dinky toy. I mean, it was really shows you the awesome power of, uh, of nature. And of course, that community that used to have lots of beautiful, mature trees didn't get didn't have any after that. And uh, so it really is a remarkable, violent uh, piece of weather. And uh, it is uh, it is one loves to relive it, but not repeat it. David, thanks so much for your time today. I'm sure you've been doing radio and media appearances right across the country, so we definitely appreciate you making time for us here in Winnipeg. I appreciate that, guys. Bye-bye now. Bye now. David Phillips joining us from Southern Ontario, Senior Climatologist at Environment Canada. I didn't ask him about the change of the name. I was wondering if you were going to ask him. and Climate Change Canada. <laughs> we kind of ran out of time there. I'll have to ask him next time I visit, and we get to visit with David Phillips. On the subject of climate and weather, we'll have a look at your forecast coming up next. Wow, it really cooled off after that uh, thunderstorm, that rain shower passed through the city of Winnipeg. Just 15 degrees right now. I don't know if the temperature will recover or not. Just what was the temperature before? Right now, 15. I think it got as high as 18 or 19 mm. and cooled off. Um, just got an incredible photograph on uh, the text machine here. Here's a photo of the tornado at Eli. Wow. I heard you talking about it a few minutes ago. My daughter, granddaughter, and I were driving through Eli, and my daughter took photos. My word, incredibly defined. Are you looking at the same picture, yep. Brett? Yeah, this is a great picture. Holy smokes. Yeah, it was so fortunate uh, that, um, that that there wasn't more devastation. And actually, if anybody listening right now, if you have, uh, if you are aware of video that's been posted online, uh, like a YouTube or something, of that uh, footage of that tornado, can you send it my way to brett at cjob.com? Because I remember looking at video of a storm that was labeled as Eli, but I later heard that there were some videos posted about the Eli tornado that was not mm. footage of, it was footage of another tornado and people were just labeling it as Eli. So I actually don't know if the footage I was looking at years ago was from that tornado. It was rather spectacular footage. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that to sound like, hey, that was really neat. It was just, it was amazing footage. And I'd like to actually see real footage, make sure that I know. So if you know, uh, Brett at cjob.com. And thank you for sending this picture. It's what an amazing picture of nature's fury. It's incredible to watch a f- tornado form. About 11 years ago, uh, we were on a little bit of a road trip. We were heading out to Enola. We'd been in Minidosa all day. There were four of us in the vehicle, and we were at the intersection of 15 and 207. And I could see this funnel cloud that would have been southeast of the city, 
and it wasn't super defined, but I had kept my eye on it for probably about three, four minutes. And I told my buddy Monty, I said, pull over. This is turning into a tornado. And we all got out of the car and we were 10, 20, 30 miles away, but you could see it absolutely forming from a funnel cloud into a tornado and watched it touch down and could see debris spewing up from the ground. It was incredible to watch. It was in the days before cameras, even on a cell phone, never mind a, an iPhone or one of these handheld devices with a video camera on it, but it was really awesome. And it made, it was a very humbling experience to see mother nature do what it did and to form so quickly in the heat of a, of a Saturday afternoon. It was spectacular to witness firsthand. I'm just seeing if I can find the picture on my uh, Instagram here. Last year I was at Kingswood in LaSalle and I had already played around with a couple of my buddies, uh, Jamie Laker, Taco Maker and uh, Mike Burkus. And we went out and played in the morning. This was a Sunday. And when they left, I said, I'm going to go out again. So I went out to play and when we finished on 18, it was sunny, but there were clouds rolling in. And by the time I got to the second hole, so it's a par five and I'm sort of zooming along the second hole. This storm has, I can see the storm is coming in. And then I tee off on the third hole and now I'm going to show you the picture. Oh, of- <laughs> oh. <laughs> I guess I didn't follow you on the instant gram at that point. This is a funnel cloud that I could I can't tell if it actually touched down, but it was it was going alongside me. I could see it was running parallel with me, not coming at me. You didn't panic? No, I your first instinct I have to get a picture of that. Well it was no, my first instinct was I need to go and finish this hole because I had a good <laughs> tee shot. Oh, you never cease to amaze me, man. And then after that, I, I took cover. There's a storm shelter. Thank goodness there's a storm shelter immediately after the third hole. And just as I, like, pulled up in my cart, took my bag off the cart, and pulled under the shelter, that's when the, the sky opened up and it poured. The The tornado, funnel cloud, whatever, was well west of me. But, yeah. When I look back on that, I think that was kind of dumb. Your but story's I, even better than mine. Well, and I got a par on the, the par three. Well done. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pressure of a tornado made me golf better. Well, maybe you ought to be golfing in more inclement weather. <laughs> Coming up to 130 on 680 CJOB. 134. Thanks for spending some time with us on this Wednesday afternoon. If you forgot to put out your garbage and your recycling today, it's probably too late. Although they were like a day behind last week. So you could put it out on Thursday. You would have been more than fine. Uh, Greg and Brett with you until 4 o'clock. Then it's Richard and Julie. And, of course, uh, our good friend Charles Adler tonight, 9 until midnight. Don't forget also uh, Hal Anderson is in for Jeff Courier for the next couple of weeks. So uh, I know a lot of you are enjoying your visit with Hal Shadow Davis from 6 till 10 right here on 680 CGOB. Yesterday, weird how these things work, Brett. I just... You know, I flip through the news and go through these different websites and found this interesting thing. At least it was <laughs> interesting to me uh, from the uh, American press. Cemetery with ties to Salem witch trials gets a makeover. Okay. A Massachusetts cemetery with a direct link to the 17th century Salem witch trials is getting a $600,000 modern makeover. In itself, super irrelevant, boring topic, right? Yes. Then I read this part of it. The Salem News reports that the 
Charter Street Burial Ground, also known as the Burying Point, will get new paths, landscaping, lighting, and perimeter fences starting this winter. The 380-year-old cemetery is the burial spot of John Hawthorne and Bartholomew Gedney, two judges who presided over the 1692 witch trials. Well, I remember those names from the Crucible. Yep. Um... Uh, Arthur Miller, right, was the author of The Crucible. So then I thought, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll share this story and we'll play this little clip of this terrible movie uh, made in 1996. But God's finger, John. If he would condemn Elizabeth, she would be condemned. In a world ruled by... So I'm watching this, I'm listening, and some of the names are familiar. I'm going... There have to be a lot of people who had to read The Crucible back in high school. It was actually a play. was a play. Yeah. And then, so was it a play first, then a book? No, I think it was just a play. I, I, I remember reading it now as well, and I think we just had to read the, the script or okay. the screenplay. Okay. Uh, because, I mean, the screenplay can still largely read as a book, right? You're just essentially reading all the dialogue that goes in it. But that, I, that was one of the books, we'll just call it a book, that, that we had to read in school. Assigned reading, right? Yep. So then it got me thinking about Daniel Day-Lewis and everything. Well, we never got around to playing it and talking about this because there were more interesting things to talk about. Well, until (laughs) we got off the air, Winona Ryder, Daniel Day-Lewis, in that clip, we get off the air yesterday and news breaks that... Daniel Day-Lewis has quit. Ladies and gentlemen, I've traveled over half our state to be here tonight. I couldn't get away sooner because my new well was coming in at Coyote Hills and I had to see about it. Ladies and gentlemen, if I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. And I think if we say that Daniel Day-Lewis is one of the greatest actors ever, you will agree. Because... Based on Lincoln alone, I would agree. He's been nominated five times for Oscars. He's won three of them. He came up short for a film called, hang on a second here. Came, so he didn't win. Well, first of all, I wonder if he was unhappy about losing those two. I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. Uh, so the nominations he didn't win for are from 1994 in the name of the father. And then in 2003, he was also nominated for Gangs of New York, but he didn't win there. But he did win for My Left Foot in 1990 in... 2013, he won for Lincoln, and then, of course, in 2008. I can't talk about There Will Be Blood without playing this. If you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is. That's a straw, you see. Watch it. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. It's so intense. He's so intense. And he is, he, he's this method actor, right? He, when on the set of Lincoln, for example, for three months, he would not answer to anything other than Mr. President. He was the president of the United States while on set. He's the kind of guy who will learn how to speak, uh, Check to to 
that had nothing to do with like he didn't actually have to do it in the film just to get the accent right just yeah, and just to to sort of help his frame of mind he would learn how to do skills he would learn how he would just immerse himself completely so then greg yesterday you said that somebody in the newsroom had a a theory the theory is and i think it has bounced around social media is that daniel day lewis is retiring from acting as part of research to play an actor or other type of artist who has, in fact, retired ahead of of his or her time. Because let's not let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis playing a woman on screen may be the last frontier for him. Oh, perhaps. You know, I would not put anything past this man in terms of his artistic expression. Yeah, and it's not the first time. It wouldn't be unprecedented. For example, in 1989, he quit stage acting while he was still on stage while performing <laughs> Hamlet at the National Theater. In the 90s, he, he and after filming a movie in 1997, a, a movie called The Boxer, he disappeared for a five-year period to take up woodworking and shoemaking. He even apprenticed for 10 months under an Italian shoemaker. And then uh, that was... Five years later, after he reemerged to start working on the Gangs of New York, he threw himself into similarly old world crafts to prepare to play his character, which was he an 1860s gang leader, by apprenticing as a butcher and hiring circus performers to teach him how to throw knives. So this is a guy who, if anybody would quit, would quit acting. As part of the method? Yeah. It would be him. And we've seen guys do stuff like this before. You remember Joaquin Phoenix? Yes. And his kind of weirdo mm-hmm. thing where he came on Letterman. That was a classic interview. Letterman was, I don't know if he was in on the gag. I don't think he was because he was so disgusted at Joaquin Phoenix coming out with his with his beard. I think he compared him to the Unabomber. And he was just essentially making fun of Joaquin, who was acting like he didn't know what was going on, essentially. And I know that uh, Shia LaBeouf, he kind of tried to do some weird method stuff, I think, where he like went around in public with a bag on his head, said it was art. I don't know. But Daniel Day-Lewis is the only guy, I think, who really gets genuine respect from people. Do you call him the best actor? Is, is he? Does he get your vote as best actor of all Ooh, time? That's a tough one. I would say one of the best. I mean, for you. I mean, you're... You're a definitive voice, but mm. you're not the definitive voice. No. I hate to tell you. No, I'm sorry. You I, and Jeff Braun would have to agree on this. I, that he's Well, he's certainly one of the best. I don't know that you can definitively say this is the greatest actor of all time for anybody, but I, I don't think there's any argument or that anybody would argue that he's one of the best. He makes every movie he's in better just by being on the marquee. So if he is actually retiring and there's no gimmick... It's kind of a sad day for all of cinema. Well, it's not as though he passed away, so there's always the chance that what we proposed is exactly what's going on or something that no one has even conceived is actually going on. It will be fascinating to watch and see how it plays out, but uh, kind of an interesting way how these all things tied together. So now we want to ask you, not who the best actor of all time is, want to tie it back to The Crucible Mm -hmm. because it was forced, enforced, non-mandatory or mandatory reading in in high school for a lot of us. What was the best mandatory read that you had either in university or in high school? 
Would love to hear from you, 204-780-6868. And if you'd like to tell us your least favorite, you can do that too. But let's try and keep it positive for the most part. What book that you were forced to read did you end up really liking and maybe you've even reread it again? I know for a lot of people, Catcher in the Rye falls under that description, a book that they might have had to have read in grade 8 or grade 9, and then they rediscovered that book in adulthood. Would love to hear from you at text or on the phone, 204-780-6868. He's Brett. I'm Greg. We will update your weather forecast in just a few moments. I'm Brett. He's Greg. What was your favorite book that you were forced to read in high school or junior high, whatever? Al is on the line at 204-780-6868. Hey, Al, what do you think? Uh, Old Man and the Sea. Old Man on the Sea? In the and the sea, old man and the sea. What is yeah. uh, what's that about? Uh, this old man and the sea. <laughs> this is a big. It's <laughs> kind of self-explanatory there. All right, that sounds like a waste of six hundred pages. If it's that simple, no, they no. didn't need to write anything more thing. than the title. That's it. Had to <laughs> had to read it for my GED. Fantastic, and and did you enjoy oh, it? Oh, it's phenomenal. When you're reading it, I don't, it's Ernest Hemingway, I think. And he has a way you start out, you're reading it as third person. Then next thing you know, you're, you got to, you're holding this rope that this old man's holding and his back is getting sore. And I'm reading the book and my arms and my back and everything's getting sore, just like this guy's. Next thing you know, you're actually feeling what this guy feels like how it was written is just phenomenal. Well, Al, what grade were you? What grade were you when when you had to read it? I was taking my GED. It was a course, and when I went the the next day to the class, we were talking about the book, and I'm like, you know, and I told them about how physically I I was feeling it physically, and other people were like, me too, like they thought they were the only ones, and it was like, wow, it was an amazing book. Outstanding insight, Al. Thank you. That's a great suggestion, Al. We appreciate it. And I I looked it up here. I've not read it, and I wasn't familiar with it. Forgive my ignorance on that. But The Old Man and the Sea is a short novel written by Ernest Hemingway in 1951, published in 1952. It was the last major work of fiction by Hemingway that was published in his lifetime. And it tells the story of Santiago, an aging Cuban fisherman who struggles with a giant marlin far out in the Gulf Stream off the coast of Florida. Sounds like a great read. I'll have to check it out. we got lots of text messages. I think we'll probably end up having to revisit this after 3 o'clock. But Roger is on the line at 204-780-6868. Roger, what is your favorite book that you had to read in school? Uh, it was a Stephen Trescott story. Oh. That's what, about that much? that's what it was called? About, yeah. You, you guys know, I hear about it? Share with us, please, Roger. This is after my time. Whoa, I've been up there. That case, I'm feeding myself. It's about, I think it was a 13-year-old boy. This is in the true story in Canada. True story that was arrested for the murder of a, um, a girl and was basically tried and convicted. He would have gotten the death penalty, except he, uh, it was, they abolished it. And it's based on a true story. If you guys Google it, and to this day, the guy's alive. He was finally paroled, but 
the no, he wasn't paroled. He was actually pardoned because the, when they revisited the evidence, he should have been convicted. So, and, you, and you're saying that the title of the book was simply the Stephen Truscott story? Yeah, exactly. All right. It's not a true story. Okay, Roger, we're going to let you go because there's all sorts of background racket and it just sounds a little awkward. So, But we do appreciate the call, Roger. Thank you so much. Uh, I'll have to look into that one. And we're getting lots on text message. I'm just going to quickly tell you what, I, what mine were, uh, Greg. I had written them down here off the top of my head. Mine were, oh, where the heck did I write it? Okay, 1984 and Animal Farm, a couple of George Orwell books. That's kind of classic stuff, right? Uh, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Can I make a confession? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I know this story. I know where we're going with this. but <laughs> 1984, I think it was grade 11, Ms. Sorensen's English class. Ms. Sorensen, if you're listening, uh, this is a true confession. We were supposed to have read the first three or four chapters and then do kind of a summary of it. And I got into class first thing and we're sitting around the table and the test paper's coming out. And I'm like, what is this for? And uh, and Rodrigo, a friend of mine, is sitting beside me. He says, uh, Greg, he says, we have a test on 1984. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't read it. I, like, I haven't even cracked this thing. So fairly large class. I said, well, what, what, what's it about? And he tells me it's about the future and people are watching and, and uh, technology is taking over, this, that, and the other thing. I go, okay. I think I can, okay. All right, appreciate that. So we get the test and write the test, and I'm feeling ridiculously stupid because I've not read this book, which wasn't super uncommon. I will confess that also. A couple days later, we get the tests back, and I'm flipping through my test, and I'm fairly happy with it. Rodrigo says, uh, Greg, what did you get on the test? I said, uh, well, nine and a half out of ten. He says, you got to be kidding me. I got eight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. But, so I never asked him for help ever again. He probably never would have given it. So, yeah. Miss Sorensen, he figured Miss Sorensen must have really liked me. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works? I remember doing an assignment in creative communications at Red River, and it was a it was a simple video assignment, but because we were students and didn't know what we were doing, everything took forever. I worked on this assignment for, I bet you, eight hours. And then I go and I, this guy asked me to help him out. He goes in and works on it for half an hour. He gets an eight and a half out of ten. I think I got seven. I was really burned by it. I think Sorry, I actually buddy. went and had a fight with a teacher. Sorry, Ford. Uh, okay, getting lots of text here. To Kill a Mockingbird. That's a classic. That's actually on my list. I can't remember what grade I was in for that. But. Uh, Kevin, the garbage man, says flowers for Algernon. If Alger- any book needs to be burned, it's that one. Which uh, leads me to one of my favorite books, Fahrenheit 451, which was about the whole idea of of uh, changing history by burning books. And a lot of these films, of course, have been adapted into films. Uh, maybe if you've never read that book, Greg, maybe you've seen the film Charlie. Charlie was adapted from uh, Flowers for Algernon. So okay. that's uh, Animal Farm. Uh, oh, Sarah says The Chrysalids. I seem to remember, remember reading that, one that in too. grade 7 or grade 8. Jack said Fahrenheit 451. We're on the same page. Catcher in the Rye, but the Coles Notes version. Okay. <laughs> There's actually an app right now that you can get that condenses all these classic books in audio form. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I should probably take the speed reading uh, tapes and also the memory tapes at the same time. I should order all three of those apps on uh, all at once. Catcher in the Ride, The Hobbit, says Jason. Did we ever have to read that for school? I think I think some people had to read The, the okay. Hobbit. Um, oh, how can I forget? I'm, this is just a, a me one. The Outsiders. Stay- was that grade nine? Grade eight? Grade nine? Grade eight for me. Yeah. Stay Mice gold, and Men, grade boy. nine. The Rainmaker, grade 10. Pigman. Pigman. I think I remember that Pigman from grade 10. On the Beach. That was by Neville Shute. Lord of the Flies. It did so well on the test. The teacher thought I cheated with those notes you can get from Andrew. Thanks for sharing that, Andrew. Lord of the Flies. Lots of Lord of the Flies getting uh, mentioned here, nominated. Another book. Now that we're doing this, it's interesting because I wrote down all these books just off the top of my head, and we're getting these suggestions from our listeners here, and I'm remembering other books. We read a lot of cool books in school. Another we did. book, One book that I always wanted to revisit was Heart of Darkness because I read that, I think, in, in Mr. Petko's class. I think that was grade 11. And I didn't quite get it. It went over my head, sailed way over my head. Another book that sailed over my head was Treasure Island, now that I think of that, in grade seven. So I, these, there, these, all these books that I wanted to take another stab at, even and that now that I remember Heart of Darkness, I also need to watch Apocalypse Now again. Because the first time I watched that, I thought, I don't know what, what I just watched. <laughs> you, need to, uh, you need to write these things down. Yep. The Fire Dwellers by Margaret Lawrence, high school requirement in Nipawa. Of course it was. Home of Nipawa, Margaret Lawrence. To Kill a Mockingbird and Animal Farms from Dwayne. Says he always liked them. Maybe we'll revisit this after 3 o'clock. Holy but we cold. do need to pause. We're getting So keep those texts coming at 204 780 Global News is coming up next. 205 Wednesday afternoon, a rainy Wednesday afternoon. Keep your eyes on the sky and your radio tuned uh, tuned to 680 CJB. I guess you can turn it here, too, and just leave it here. Uh, you can also catch us uh, online, listen live. Feature at cjob.com. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you. We want to invite you to continue to text message to us the favorite book you had that you were forced to read, not one that you that you picked up because you wanted to. Grapes of Wrath just came in from Dinah, uh, that John Steinbeck novel. If I remember the writing style, Brett, it was uh, one chapter was storytelling, and then the next chapter was all descriptive, and it alternated chapters like that. I think that was the most distinctive feature of that book, if my memory is serving me, about the Great Depression and the and the move from the Midwest or the Texas to California and the Dirty 30s, etc., the Dust Bowl. We'll have to go with your memory then, because I never you read don't, it. You never read it? No. no okay, because <laughs> I could... <laughs> we've got that great promo right now talking about when we have guests in the studio who are clearly smarter than us, you wondering out loud if there's a point when they're looking into our eyes and they go, they realize that they need to really <laughs> kind of maybe take the conversation down a couple notches because it's going right over our head. Yeah, I love that promo. <laughs> <laughs> Is that? Could you tell that's what I was doing there? The look in my, the glaze yep. in my eyes. Yep. 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 But I had a thought and I had to finish it. So <laughs> anyway, keep sending us uh, uh, your favorite books. Uh, we're going to ask our our next guests exactly the same question. Andrea Kath- Cates. 
Cates. I almost said it the wrong way. Andrea <laughs> Cates and uh, Allison Gervais are here, co-founders of Fit Communications, and they are in studio. Thanks for joining us again, Allie. Great to Thanks. see you again. Thanks Andrea, you and I have been communicating by email for about four or five years, first time. I know. That we're visiting face-to-face. All new. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you in the studio. So you're... What can we ask you before we get on with what we brought you here for? Can we put you on the spot? What was your favorite book that you had to read in school? I think I had a tie, but they were both by the same person. So 1984 and um, Animal Farm. Wow. Good. Those are the first two books I wrote down. So oh. those are uh, heavy hitters, I think, for a and lot of people. And they're selling big time right now. In fact, a lot of stores can't keep them in stock because... These political times in the U.S. are reminding a lot of people of... That's pretty sad. It is kind of scary. (laughs) How about for you, Allie? Uh, Catcher in the Rye, for sure. Catcher in the Rye. J.D. Selinger. Great book. So why don't we shift gears to why we really have the ladies in the studio, Brett? Andrea sent me an email and said, hey, listen, we've got this latest blog post on our website, fitcommunications.ca, and it's called Ladies, Are We Hurting Our Girls? So there's a picture here of a a girl who I want to guess is... Is she? Do you think she's even two years old? And she's standing. Tiny. On, and she's standing. She's wearing diapers still, uh, and is standing on a scale. And it says, "Don't let her think like this." So, what prompted you to tackle this particular subject, Andrea? Um, I think the biggest thing that we sort of um, sort of looked at from this perspective is that ninety one percent of women in North America have a "I hate my body" moment every single day. That's huge. So mm-hmm. not I, I'm not happy with a little bit of something, something, but I hate my body. So I think that really sort of um, started our conversations around body image for ourselves. Um, and if you're thinking that way and you're talking that way, having that sort of negative self-talk um, to yourself or with your friends or with your family, who's listening? And if the little girls that are in your life are hearing you say that you hate your body, then what are you teaching them to say about their own selves and about their own bodies? So we're quite concerned about that. Well, we call it self-esteem, but self-esteem is learned by your parental figures, right? It's learned, it's passed down, uh, it's... Typically by nurture, not by nature, this mm-hmm. idea of self-esteem. You you generate that from your experiences and, and the way you are treated while you're growing up. Yeah, I think, well, and for sure, I think girls, we can we tell our girls growing up, you know, love your body, don't be on diets, you know, it's all about uh, nutrition versus dieting. And so many women can say this to their girls, but then turn around and say, Oh, I can't have cheesecake. I'm on a diet, or I'm I need to get rid of these thighs before bikini season, or whatever it is. So they're giving completely mixed messages because they're saying to them, on one hand, love yourself. It's okay to be, you know, whatever size you are. But then they turn around and they're on a diet and they're not happy with themselves, no matter what size they are. So. Is that human nature, though, to kind of have this sort of do as I say, not as I do mentality? Uh, it might be a parental thing <laughs> a lot for a lot of times, right? Yes. You know, as a parent, you want that you want your kids to grow up to be angelic and smart and confident and everything, but then and stay away from drugs and drinking and you know and to say you're gonna or not you don't want them to do one thing, but then maybe you as yourself as a kid or a teenager or even a grown up do it yourself. All those other things you tell them not to do. So well, my son Brendan calls me on it all the time. Mm-hmm. So you want me, let me get this straight, is essentially the tone of his voice. You want me to stop yelling at my brother and 
in order for me to do that, you think it makes sense for you to yell at me. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say it in those words, <laughs> but pretty close. Yeah, and it makes sure. sense what he's saying, for but sure. he's calling me on my on my BS, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, well, you want me to stop doing it, you need to stop doing it too. And I think we have to listen to those cues from our kids from time to time. Absolutely, you have to lead by example, right? And it, and I think it's not only for the young girls. Like I personally don't have kids, but I have three young nieces that. Um, I spend a lot of time with, and so I know that they... You're probably a bigger role model than you realize. Oh, I think I definitely realize. I realize, yeah. I'm, um, I'm, because I just see how they look up to me, and they're like little sponges, so everything that I say, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they're going to hear, for one. They have ears like nobody's business, and they're going to absorb all of that. And it's not only do I want to be a good influence on them, but I also want to be a positive influence on the other women in my life. So if I sit there and say how, um, you know, I don't like this or that about my body, but then I tell my friend that she should not worry so much about gaining an extra 10 pounds or having a couple extra wrinkles than she did 10 years ago, then that's not, that's not, again, being that positive example. So I think that we need to lead not only for the young girls, but for each other as well. Ali Gervais, Mm -hmm. Andrea Cates, Darn it! I, I, I asked her off the air. It's all Sam's fault. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, well, it, it is Andrea Cates. Did I get Gervais correct? Yeah, that's right. Gervais. Uh, Gervais. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's a good, we try to do these things off the air, but then we forget. <laughs> um, so, Andrea, if you are in a position where you you say, "Oh no, I can't, I can't have that. I'm I'm on a diet or whatever," and you find yourself doing these things, saying these things to your kids. What should you be doing instead or how can you, maybe that's not the question, what can you do to try to curb these behaviors? I think the first thing is let's lose the word diet. I think it's about having a healthy lifestyle. So it's not, um, if you're trying to lose weight because you want to be a healthier version of yourself, you want to have better energy, you want to have better heart health, those types of things, amazing. Those are all really good purposes. But if you're trying to just lose 10 pounds, then once you lose 10 pounds, what do you do? You start eating the cheesecake again and stop working out? No, that's not necessarily a solution that's going to lost long um, have long-term benefits. So it's about having lifestyle choices. So having nutritiously dense food, working out, sleeping lots, keeping your stress level low, all of those types of things. Um, And then just sort of being that example for those kids. So I can't tell a child that, no, you're not allowed to have ice cream, but I am. So let's, let's find these solutions for, um, for everybody. So it's a, a lifestyle and a health choice, not about gaining or losing weight. So the statistic you cite here, about 91% of women have an I hate my body moment every single day is only surpassed in how startling it is based on the fact that only 5% of women naturally possess the body types we see in the media. So here we have 91% of the population all beating themselves up about something that only 5% of the population can possibly attain or have the even the, the sort of the natural genetics to kind of get there so do we have to have a conversation with ourselves and i think it's men and women Mm. have to have this conversation about what is genuinely realistic in terms of body shape body image and our feelings about both those things well for sure i think that actually it's getting better now in the media um i've seen a a lot more full-figured women and different versions of what beauty looks like Mm -hmm. in media and publications but we have a long way to go and regardless of what they show i don't think that's a true reflection about how you feel 
right? So if I can see someone that's getting, you know, in magazines and this that's full figured, but I, that still doesn't change what I feel about myself, even if they're getting more publicity, right? So I think we have to start from when they're young, from the when these kids are young, boys, girls, and just be self-accepting no matter what size you are and focus on having the best you that you can be. But you don't think that the changing representation within the media might slightly change our ideals of, of what's attainable and what is not only possible, but even desirable. Like, uh, I like to think mm-hmm. that, that if we shift that a little bit about what is represented as ideal, that maybe our ideals themselves might change. Well, I do think that things have changed from, let's say, the 1970s, 80s, you know, mm-hmm. where it was just stick figures, and right. now it's you've got the, like, the Kim Kardashian booties of the world, right? Mm-hmm. But then that whole, that brings on a whole other thing about unrealistic body shapes, right? How many of these have natural booties, and even if they are natural, just because I could do 8 million squats a day and I'm never going to have that right. because that's just the way my body's made up. So it's now not a shift from maybe, you know, I was I was looking fantastic if I was going to be compared to someone in the 1980s. But now in 2017, I'm looked at and I'm like a skinny flat pancake bum, you know, like so I think it's a, like as much as the changes have come in the people that we're looking at and comparing ourselves to, there's still always going to be someone that's, you're still never going to be perfect and be whatever society's view is of perfect, right? So it's just a matter of accepting yourself because fads change, people get into the media more that have different shapes, big, small, whatever, whatever it is. It's a matter of loving yourself regardless of what's, you know, in style. Were you implying that Kim Kardashian isn't 100% natural? <laughs> I'm not implying that. However, <laughs> I am implying that I mean, certain people do have like big booties and just that's just how they are. And they've had them since they were 14 years old, right? And they're just, that's the way their body's made. Maybe they love it. Maybe they've hated it. You know, maybe the someone that we look at now, like Andrew had cited in the blog, that, you know, some of these women that you see that you look at and you'd say, she's got like a 12 out of 10 figure. And she probably looks at herself and says, yeah, but my inner thighs are horrible or mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? Everyone has to have their own view, regardless if they're plastic or not plastic or fake or natural, that they love themselves the way they are. Well, gonna, let's pause our conversation with Andrea Cates and Ali Gervais, the co-founders of Fit Communications. Yes, I got it right. Yay. They have a blog post. It's called Ladies are we hurting our girls? You can read it at fitcommunications.ca. We'll have a look at your forecast up next. The picture is this of a, what we're going to call her a two-year-old little girl standing on a scale, one of those bathroom scales. She's looking down at the numbers and the heading on the meme is don't let her think like this. We're talking about body image issues. Where do girls and boys, because I think this mm-hmm. is a huge issue for young men and for boys. Andrea Cates and Allison Gervais are here, co-founders of Fit Communications. This is from their blogs, uh, their blog post, Ladies, Are We Hurting Our Girls? And and I guess it's a rhetorical question to a certain extent, right, Andrea? Because you clearly believe that we are by by acting the way we do and talking about weight and body image the way we do not only within culture, but just examples we give around the house with our kids. Absolutely. I mean, with that... Um 
the whole scale factor too. I, I think that I, I threw my scale out about two years ago. And I, I think that for me personally, what was happening is I was looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, oh, I look great today. My body feels good. I wonder how much I weigh today. And I would step on the scale. And if that number wasn't something that registered in a positive way in my head, then I would get upset about things. Oh, okay. Well, it's not where I thought I was going to be. Well, then why am I standing on this scale? If I think I look good and I feel good, that is what should be important. Um, and so, again, it's not about a number of, oh, you have to be 130 or 180 pounds mm-hmm. or whatever that number looks like. It's how are you feeling? Are you healthy? Um, and not really being so concerned about what that what that scale is telling you. So I chucked mine. Oh, Brett, when <laughs> you and I are sitting here, we have listeners' voices in their head. And I can hear... A certain segment of of ladies in particular yelling at the radio right now, calling you a certain name, throwing about, <laughs> oh, I threw my scale away. And then there are others that are going to be saying, I've done the same thing. It's such a dichotomy, right, in terms of, of the way we all view this thing. Uh, Brett, uh, talk about, you know, you, you've talked openly about your whole body image issues. Well, I actually, I too threw my scale out because it, it told me it was uh, that I was 15 pounds over what I was hoping it to be. So I think it was broken. So I got rid of it. <laughs> um, Just haven't replaced it yet. Yeah, that's right. But no, I, I am one of these, like I, I am a person who multiple times a week will look in the mirror and go, God, that's just useless. So, what? <laughs> oh, should, that's horrible. But what if you're a ch- if you have a child? You reference a, an eight year old, an eight year old girl. What if you have an eight year old girl who comes to you and says, "Mom, I I hate my body." An eight year old child. What do you do as a parent? Well, uh, I have an eight year old child, and if she came to me, um, I would, I would, I think I'd. After you stop I, crying. Yeah, exactly. Because I really do feel like I try, probably over like too much about trying to give her positive confidence, not only about her body and about how beautiful I think she is, but other things that I want her to, I don't want her to just be about her body and her and her face, you know, because, and I say this, I've said this before too, what happens if you're in an accident and your face is melted or like, you know what I mean? Like heaven forbid something happens to you physically where your body or your face, if that's all you've got, it goes away. So I try and build up her confidence in other ways about how smart she is, about how funny she is, uh, how talented and creative and all these other things. So if she came to me, I would for sure ask her, what, why does she think like that? What, you know, what is, what's happening here? And I delve a little bit more into it as far as maybe someone had said something to her. Maybe she uh, overheard somebody else talking, you know, about themselves. So I think I would for sure ask her about it and then start the conversation that way. You know, I can't change the thought that's already gone into her head, but maybe it came from a place that I can help correct. You know, it's interesting you say that she might have heard, maybe she heard somebody else talking. One of my boys, Brendan, came to me, and he won't be listening right now, I don't think. But this isn't a secret. He came to me and he said uh, that he thinks he's ugly. Oh. And he's a twin, okay? And somewhere along the line, certain people have gotten the idea that Brendan is the smart one and Alexander's the cute one. Oh my gosh. And that has somehow along the way, you're a twin, you know this, Brett, that these things happen. And but it's gotten back to them. And I, I it was about six months of dealing with Brendan about this whole idea about being put in this box. And it's frustrating beyond question because of where they do get these messages. Yeah, for sure. And I have the same thing. I have two daughters. 
and a niece, uh, same as Andrew, we're sisters. So we have the same community of girls, right? And it's always people will say people say the stupidest things sometimes when you're with a group of girls, right? They'll say, oh, look how gorgeous their blue eyes are. Well, one has brown. So now that she's not being the one that's complimented, right? Uh, and oh, girls, you know, your girls have got such beautiful hair or whatever it is, right? And you're separating yourself from, you're separating the two from the one or the one from the two. And then what kind of message is that for these girls? You know, it should just be like, you guys are gorgeous or whatever it is. Never, never make a differentiation or, oh, she's, your daughter is so beautiful when the other daughter is standing right there. You know, it's just horrible. I can't even, and smart. Yeah. Oh, she's such a smart girl. And the other one's standing right there. We have to leave it there. Andrea Cates, Ali Gervais, co-founders of Fit Communications, their website, fitcommunications.ca, where you can read their blog post. Ladies, are we hurting our girls? 2.35, rainy Wednesday afternoon. Greg Mackling along with Brett McGarry straight through until 4 o'clock. We don't seem to be running out of excuses to have one of our favorite entrepreneurs in the studio, Brett. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. He Ka- said, Greg says, hey, Callie is coming in today. I said, great. We love having Catherine Matricky into the uh, studio. And we'll tell you why she's here in just a moment. We're going to bring on Jad Le- Jan Lederman. Uh, Lederman. Letterman. Sorry, Jan. It, it, it always no looks like Lederman, but I, I know it's Letterman. Uh, joining us, Innovate Manitoba. You had this incredible event uh, yesterday. Why don't you tell our listeners about it before we uh, go through and and talk about the results and how Catherine is involved in in those incredible events that you have. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, Really be here. So we had our um, the sixth uh, edition of uh, the Manitoba Venture Challenge lift off event yesterday. You know what, Jan? I'm really sorry to do this. I need to put you on hold because same time it's every this, day. Yeah, we, this is this happened to us yesterday. I think it was around two o'clock where the phone line it just goes all junky like that, where we get these digital gremlins, and so that's that's now officially a pattern. Yes. So we we can now go to our engineers and say, hey guys, can you help us figure out what's going on? Because, I mean, <laughs> this isn't some sort of third world <laughs> college radio station or something. It's supposed to be the 50,000 watt blowtorch. <laughs> That's right. We can't have $6 telephones here. <laughs> so well, Maybe well, a $6 telephone would work better than the uh, fancy PC oriented one. Let's try this one more time. Jan Letterman is here. She's from Innovate Manitoba. We're going to talk about the Manitoba Venture Challenge. Take two. Jan, are you there? I am here. Can oh, you hear me? it's like you're in the room with us. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Tell us about last night's event and, and uh, why it's so special. Yeah, well, yesterday was the sixth uh, edition of uh, the Manitoba Venture Challenge and liftoff that we've put on, and um, once again, it was very successful. So we had uh, a bunch of companies competing for some cash and prizes, and uh, the judges the judges this year were awesome. The, the questions were really super incisive, and uh, the competitors did a great job of dealing with them, and we came out with the top three. So maybe before we continue any further as well, perhaps just give our listeners a reminder about what exactly is Innovate Manitoba. Yeah, well, so we're a business-led nonprofit organization. We uh, help um, really be a catalyst for innovation, for getting uh, new innovations off the ground in Manitoba, helping startups, helping researchers commercialize their technologies. And we uh, we do that by uh, basically giving them training 
um, on how they can uh, avoid the major pitfalls, how they can get to market to faster and more cost in a more cost-effective way. And then we work really hard to link them to the capital that they need to grow. When we talk about entrepreneurship in Manitoba, Jan, it's so critical to the future of our economy, which is why we spend as much time as we do, uh, Brett and I, speaking about this and visiting with entrepreneurs. And we're, I just feel like we're coming of age in our province because of all these different incubators, these different opportunities and resources for not only young people, but entrepreneurs that have already kind of been successful in their own right. They keep coming to these events to fine-tune their operations and to to take things to the next level. It's so critical to have that mentorship and to have that available, isn't it? Yeah, you're completely right. And I I think we are maturing as a community. Um, And the important thing is that we have uh, different kinds of offerings for entrepreneurs depending on the stage that they're at. So if somebody's just a young person starting out from scratch, we have we have programs for them in the community. If somebody's really keen to be in a high growth business and grow go big or go home kind of uh, attitude, a really uh, driven entrepreneur, we've got uh, programs for them. We've got programs for researchers that um, introduce them to how do they bring their research to market because for a lot of researchers, they're driven by getting their research into the public domain and sometimes that has economic value and sometimes it doesn't, but either way, it's good for all of us. And uh, and then there's um, there's industry. We're we're a province of small and medium sized enterprises. Um, SMEs have a hard time doing R and D. They don't have big R and D budgets or or uh, researchers who drive innovation for them. And so they really need need assistance in in how do they innovate their products and services and and stay ahead of the competition, uh, which is you know uh, trying to disrupt them on a daily basis. So this is the eighth annual venture challenge. Off the top of your head, can you think of any uh, comp- any businesses that have come out of this challenge over the last few years who have gone on to success? Oh yeah, there's been quite a few. Um, I mean, HD Petroleum um, is uh, is one of the uh, big ones. It's been a few years. Um, since since it competed, I think it was 2011, if I recall correctly, um, and they spent a few years in R&D. Um, they're a micro refinery, taking waste motor oil and turning it into diesel fuel. And uh, you know, it took them a while uh, to get to that point, but they're now out. Uh, they've done that, and they're one of their real innovations is that it's a it's a micro refinery in a box. So basically, they can ship it anywhere around the world. It supports a population base of about 500,000 people. So they're seeing huge demand for uh, for their their product. Um, but there's there's lots of other ones too. Um, you know, Permission Quick is one uh, that's uh, that's been around that lots of people have heard of. Uh, Price Razzie, uh, Declan McDonald, and and his business. I think you've talked to them before. Uh, Crick Nutrition, which is a high protein. Uh, uh, flour or, or product based on uh, crickets, um, exigence, uh, which is um, again that's a, a complicated one because the technology came out of uh, the University of Manitoba. It's an antimicrobial product, and uh, you know these two entrepreneurs have taken that into the marketplace, and it, it's uh, it's just a, a huge uh, technology. That business could has the potential to grow really, really big. You know, so that's just a handful. I, I could name, you know, 10 or 12 more. 
That was perfect. That was a great summary. And uh, we, you're right, we have spoken to a number of those individuals, including uh, the head guy from, or one of the head guys from Exigence. Uh, we just had that chat a couple of months uh, ago. Zach Wolf. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jen, uh, it's incredible work that you're doing. Uh, Catherine is in the studio with us, so we're going to uh, let you off the phone and uh, let you uh, tell folks how they can get involved and, and some of your next events before we uh, let you move on with your day. Yeah, so uh, everything that we do is on our website, InnovateManitoba.com. Our next big public event uh, is November 23rd at the RBC Convention Centre. It's Pitch Day, and it's a great event for somebody who just wants to get connected into the ecosystem or anybody with an idea. You don't have to have an established business for that one. If you're somebody with a, you think it's a unique business idea or you've got a product and you're you're doing something new with it, um, you can apply to Pitch day and there's usually a couple of hundred people there and it's it's a really fun event well as you know i can attest to what a great event it is uh emceeing it for about four years jan Uh, i miss doing that event i want to thank you uh for all your kindness over the years and thanks for joining us this afternoon we'll have lots to talk about as we move through the the next uh months and years as as manitoba continues to uh, really harvest some incredible entrepreneurs yeah terrific thanks guys jan letterman with Innovate Manitoba. I always have a hard time. I've known Jan for like six years. Still have a hard time because her last name is spelled L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N and it looks like it should be Lederman, but it's Letterman. We're having a hard time with names today. It's one of those things. I'm rubbing off on you, Brett McGarry. <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't know that I would say that, but uh, one name we, we do know well now, Catherine Matricky. I hope I said that right. Yeah? Okay. She just gave me a thumbs up from Calia Flowers, and she is the winner of this year's Manitoba Venture Challenge. Were you, I guess, what's the, 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 the easiest question to ask right out of the gate? What was your reaction when you got that first place nod? You know, it's really exciting. Um, we've been part of the Innovate Manitoba story for um, the year since we began. They were one of the first events that we went to. They did a one-day workshop um, back in May or June last year, and that was when Kelly was just an idea. Um, and so it's been a cool journey to walk through and continue to learn with them, and I think this was a neat next step in that. Um, and it's obviously super exciting. It's great validation um, and support for what we're trying to do. I think the first word that jumped out at me the first time we interviewed interviewed you, Catherine, was the word disruption. And that's one of the catchphrases. And and it's not a catchphrase in the sense that it's a throwaway phrase. It's one thing that is absolutely critical in this new economy. You have to disrupt whatever it is that you're, whatever market you're trying to break into, fair to say? Absolutely. And then the another word that's a catchphrase that's critical is pivot and knowing how to pivot. But there's another one that you are experiencing right now that is absolutely mandatory if you're going to take your business from serving a small geographical area to taking on either Western Canada, all of Canada, North America and beyond. Absolutely. And we talked about the word scale um, and how you bring your business to the next level. And I think that's the story of the last year of this business. You know, we started as, is this an idea? Is it even going to work? Do people care about buying flowers for $49 online, farm fresh, all the buzzwords we talk about? And then we said, you know, there's probably a business here. Like some people kind of like this and people are starting to talk about it. And we said, okay, well now how do we systematize this? How do we make it something that we can run consistently and build up some infrastructure? And so we got the website out and we started making things a little bit more um, 
consistent on the back end. Um, and now we're a year in or eight months, nine months in. And so the question is, how do we now bring that to the next level? And the scaling question is a whole new ball game. Um, it's beyond, you know, what do we do today and tomorrow to get the orders out? It's what do we do when the orders are 10 times this volume and in 10 different cities? Um, and those are the questions that we're looking to answer now. Going to continue our conversation in a moment with Catherine Matricky of Calia Flowers. She won the Manitoba Venture Challenge last night, and we are going to continue our chat after we have a look at your forecast, which is up next. 2.50 on this Wednesday afternoon, celebrating entrepreneurship in our province, something we love to do on Mackling and McGarry. I'm Greg. He's Brett, and Catherine Matricky is here. Calia Flowers, Catherine's been with us. I think this is her third, maybe fourth visit in the last nine months or so. And Catherine, your journey to a successful business started as an idea. Now you're flourishing. You won last night the Manitoba Venture Challenge presented by Innovate Manitoba. We were talking about the world scaling. You're not just in Winnipeg anymore. No, we've had some great growth. So in February, we opened in Vancouver. In March, we opened in Edmonton. And I'm super proud to share that on Monday, we opened in Calgary. Um, So we're in four cities and we have some aggressive expansion plans, exciting expansion plans. We hope to be moving into some more cities within the next few months. Now, one of the things that came out of this challenge last night that you won, the Manitoba Venture Challenge, is that uh, you are rapidly expanding and are probably going to need more capital than you have access to. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. So when we start to think about scale, it's, you know, you've proved this model. It seems to be successful. Now, how do you ramp it up to the next level? Um, And that does require capital. And so we're learning a lot about the world of investment and getting some angels involved and helping us get that back-end support to be able to scale to that next level. For those that are unfamiliar with the terminology, use the words angel. Uh, Angel investors are a certain type of investor. Uh, Give us a tutorial if you you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been a lot of new learning for me too in the last few months. So often when you go to raise your first few rounds of capital, you can start with friends and family, people who believe in you, but and sort of get the business and are going to say, you know, we think you're going to do something cool. Here's some money. Um, When you move past your friends and family stage, you go to who we call angels. And angels are people who have some extra cash, Um, and like to invest it in higher-risk startups, often in the tech space. Many of them are people who have had successful tech businesses and and exited from them and are now looking to give back and mentor the next generation. And so that's who we're looking to get involved now. Angel investors, do they invest as much in the individual who's leading an endeavor or an enterprise as much as uh, the idea itself? You know, I've heard that it's it's it seems to be a combination of both. Okay. So do you have a product that actually solves a problem in the market? Mm-hmm. So problem market fit, product market fit. They ask a lot of questions about that so that you're not trying to sell ice in Winnipeg. Um, and then also, do you have a team and a group of people who can take it no matter where it needs to go? And I had an interesting investor say to me a few weeks ago, you know, it, I'm not sure if your business is going to be successful or, or that's a question that he's thinking about when he looks at businesses, but I'm trusting that you're going to figure it out. So that if you do need to pivot or you do need to change things, that, that you'll find a way to make it work. So how do you find these angel investors then? What do, you, do you have to go door to door or what do you do? <laughs> I almost wish it was that easy. <laughs> Are you an angel investor? <laughs> yeah, no, okay. they need to have little wings or something. No, it, it's been a lot of networking and that's actually like, sorry to plug the names, but Innovate Manitoba and the Manitoba Technology Accelerator have been phenomenal resources for us to find those groups. Um, they have great networks both in Winnipeg and, and across the country to help find these individuals who are looking to give back and get involved. Well, you know, when we use the word scale, just getting up and running, 
15, 20 years ago, uh, and I was at the Ramp Up Manitoba event just a couple of weeks ago, uh, emceed that event, and I thought back to my time as a as an inventor and an entrepreneur when I was younger. Other than talking to your dad or your grandpa or someone close to you, there was no network of mentorship available, somewhere where you could go knock on the door and go, hey, can you help me with this? And now we have this resource and these resources available. And so when you capitalize and you take on this challenge, not only of building your business, but having that resource, it's it, it like condenses your timeline infinite, like by a lot. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. And sometimes they ask the questions that you kind of go dough. Like, I can't believe that I didn't ask myself that question. Right. Last night at, at the Venture Challenge event, one of the judges asked, so, you know, you're telling me you're an e-commerce company and you're going to build out a web solution so people can order online. He's like, well, what company in 2017 isn't building out a web solution that, right. so that you can't order online? He says, you know, this has to be something that you do at table stakes and then really excel at in what order to What was that last word you, you used? Table? Table stakes. So, in order to get it at the table, like a gambling reference, right? <laughs> this has to be your, your entry point. Everybody's going to have to be online, but now what are you going to do to be different? And so that's really reframed for us. So that's not that's not even a unique business. That's just a part of any business now. Totally. Is what is your e-commerce strategy, right? Yeah. So what did you win before we let you go? Because this was, you know, a, a big deal to win and it's great to have you back on the air, but this could really set the table for your next uh, your next uh, stage of development here and, and, and growth. For sure. And we're really grateful for the support. So there is a significant cash prize. So $20,000 comes to support. Um, for us, it'll be hiring and also expanding into new markets. There's also in-kind support for accounting from the Fort Group and uh, TDS Law support as well. And then the most important for us is the access to a number of mentor and angel networks um, throughout the, the next year for us to bring the right people on the table. So we'll be traveling um, over the next few months to be able to do that, which is super exciting. Okay. So now what are you going to do? You, you mentioned you were talking to Brett that you might be traveling a little bit. How do you trust your baby to somebody else while you're away? Great question. So we're hiring is the short answer <laughs> to help bring in people to run it on the day-to-day. So we're bringing in a couple project managers, some salespeople, some marketers. It's going to be good because it's, you have, but you have to move to that next level. And I think that's one of the things that I'm so grateful to have the support for. How do you transition from, you know, I'm running a business by myself out of my basement into, well, now we have 10 staff into now we're in however many cities and we have a hundred people. And I think that's where you need the mentorship and support. And that's where Kelly is going. So we're really excited to be part of it. I just want to say hooray for you. Like I really <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. What's your website? Calliaflowers.com. C-A-L-L-I-A flowers.com. Now in Calgary. Catherine Matricky, congratulations once again on winning the Manitoba Venture Challenge last night. And again, one more time, the website, just for another plug. Calliaflowers.com. C-A-L-L-I-A flowers.com. Order online. Less than six clicks. $49. Delivery same day. Global News up next. Brett McGarry, I know you're not the sportsing guy, but you, you do know my my favorite baseball team. That's the the Cubs of Chicago. Correct. They play at Wrigley Field. Correct. Yay! Now, <laughs> that sounded awfully condescending coming from me. I, I didn't mean for it to come across <laughs> that way in any way, shape, or form. I just, you know, just we're partners on the air, and I just wanted to emphasize how well you know me. I like stickball. Yeah. Okay. It's still baseball, and <laughs> the Cubs are playing the Padres this afternoon. Friday and Saturday, the National Hockey League entry draft is in Chicago, and the top prospect, uh, 1A or 1B, depending on which list you look at, one of the top prospects 
is Nolan Patrick of Winnipeg. He played for the Brandon Wheat Kings, the Western Hockey League. And he had the honor this afternoon of throwing out the ceremonial first pitch at Wrigley Field. So not only could he hear his name called first at the NHL entry draft, a dream come true for any Canadian kid to imagine that he got to throw out the ceremonial first pitch at a Cubs game at Wrigley Field. Absolutely mind-blowing. Congratulations to uh, to Nolan, and we'll see how things uh, pan out Friday night. Tonight we'll find out which Winnipeg Jet ends up a Las Vegas Golden Knight as the NHL Awards go this evening. And throughout the broadcast tonight, they will be sharing which players were selected in the expansion draft by Las Vegas uh, a lot of people thinking Marco Dano will be chosen by Las Vegas. Other people thinking it will be Toby Enstrom. So we will know that answer to that question uh, early this evening, maybe 8, 9 o'clock tonight. And uh, we wanted to revisit a couple of the conversations that we're having earlier this afternoon, including one about your favorite book you were forced to read at some point in your life, whether it be in school or otherwise. Yeah, it's funny when you look back at the books that, you read in school as I like if you just take a few moments and start writing down all the books that you had to read in school you might be surprised by how much you liked all these books now I wrote down just off the top of my head I think I had to read 1984 Great Gatsby Animal Farm To Kill a Mockingbird In the Heat of the Night Underground Railroad Treasure Island Heart of Darkness there was another one um I don't know if it was 1984. Ah, I can't. Brave New World. That's when it was. Yeah. All these great books. The one, and then there are a couple there. Like I said, Heart of Darkness. That one really confused me in grade, I think it was in grade 11. I need to go back and revisit that book. And I'd also like to revisit Treasure Island. But all these books, uh, Great Gatsby was actually in university. And that's just scratching the surface. Then we've got people texting us all these books that remind me, oh yeah, I read that too. Like, I need I need to go back and just have a, a shelf of books at home that are all books that I read in school, and then I can go, yep, school is actually cool sometimes. Yeah, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of uh, reflection to realize how good we had it, and, and maybe that's when you realize you're getting old. Speaking of old, my dad is listening this afternoon. Okay. It's raining, so he, he's not puttering around up at the cottage. <laughs> Are you implying that your dad's old? My dad is at least a little bit older than I am, So, okay. and I feel old. So uh, I, I, the, the math computes, I'm allowed to call him old. Uh, my dad just <laughs> sent me an email. I got it. He said, too late, I know, but one required reading book I reread of human bondage. I'm going to put that on my list based on my dad's recommendation. But then he adds, if I never urged you to read the Stephen Truscott story, I have failed you. Yeah, and that's, uh, we had a call who suggested the uh, Stephen Truscott story, and neither of us had heard of it. So we looked it up, and yeah, sure enough, there it is. It's uh, based on a true story. In fact, Stephen Truscott is the co-author of the original book. So I will, I guess I'll be doing some reading this weekend. And we, we got uh, a text message here from Ron. Uh, Winnipeg book. I read a book once from cover to cover. It was Winnipeg driver's training manual and still failed the test three times. <laughs> this book has come up twice. April Raintree. Do you remember this book at all, Brett? It doesn't ring a bell. In Search of April Raintree by Beatrice Culleton. 
And I, in fact, met Beatrice Culleton just when this book was released. Really? My grade nine teacher at the time, who's now the principal at Grant Park, Susan Anderson, and another student, and I were asked to read the book and give our feedback on the book. It was an absolutely gut-wrenching tale um, about a Métis woman in Manitoba who suffered through all sorts of of incredible things in her life. And and I don't want to give the book away in any way, shape, or form. Uh, But this has come up and now exactly twice uh, from listeners uh, texting in at 204-780-6868. And (laughs) we had someone say, I think it was Kev the Garbage Man, who said flowers for Algeron was uh, his least favorite book. Yep. Someone said uh, that that book is amazing. I would would agree, flowers for... uh for Algernon, sorry to correct you there, Greg. Oh, Don't that's to, okay. Uh, it, I never read it, so no, no. It's a it's a good book. The the movie is also pretty good as well, uh, featuring oh I can't remember the name of the actor Cliff uh, Cliff. He played Uncle Ben in Spider Man. Anyway, there was another somebody else here mentioned a book which blew my mind because I had not thought of it for years. It's Banner. In the Sky. Banner in the Sky. We read that in grade seven, I think. Yeah, same at, here. At uh, River Heights School. And I think we read that one. That was one that we read aloud every once in a while, I think, just to keep everybody awake. <laughs> it's about that guy who, I think he climbs the Matterhorn the or something. Citadel. The Citadel. Wow, good for you. It was inspired, I think, by the Matterhorn. Yeah. well, Not, the mur- not to be confused with the murder horn. <laughs> Murder horns <laughs> from The Simpsons. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Mr. Oh, who was my Mr. Milton? I think was my English teacher in grade seven at River Heights School. We read that. Uh, that I think we alternated chapters. You had to read it on your own and then read it aloud. Like I said, I think just to keep everyone awake. Wasn't a horrible book at all at the time. It was very painful. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes these books. I think there there just comes at sometimes there comes this mentality that. I'm reading this because I have to. Right. My school is making me read this, therefore I don't like it, or at least I don't want to like it, but it's actually pretty good. So I think I'm just, even though I was only supposed to read two chapters, maybe I'll read a third one. And not tell any of my friends. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How many chapters did you read? Uh, two. I only read two. Come on now. Oh, we got a crash here we need to tell you about. Uh, where is it? Crash on eastbound Broadway in the right-hand lane just before Maryland. So we will get more details on traffic. Keep those text messages coming in. Your favorite book that you had to read wow, this in is, school. This list is incredible. Somebody now asking, can you post this list of books somewhere? This is now starting to sound like homework. <laughs> starting to feel like grade 9 and grade 10 again. This might be the same person who texted us saying, can you post the list of burgers that Hal was talking about <laughs> earlier? <laughs> we'll have to double check. Uh Traffic, weather, all coming up next. Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry here. Sorry, it's distracted here. I'm trying to see if Beatrice Culleton is someone that we can have on the program for the <laughs> third time this afternoon. In Search of April Raintree came up as a book that people suggested, the book that they loved the most that they were forced to read as part of school. And so, uh, you know, I'm certain that I was in a room with Beatrice Culleton when I was in grade nine, when this book first came out and uh, had a conversation about the impact of the book on myself and one other student at Isaac Brock school back in the day. So um, this book is now I'm refascinated with this book 100%. 
And there's a revision of the book as well. And it seems to be part of the curriculum here in Manitoba, at least at some schools. Yeah. So thank you very much for those suggestions. Uh, this is something that I don't believe I had to read. It's it's ringing a bell, but it's not sort of hitting home. So I don't think I had to read that. Uh, but we've got somebody saying, I think you mentioned Pigman already. Somebody said, how has no one mentioned I Am David? Uh, I'm trying to think of other books that I had to read. Uh, Rumblefish, Jared, for, with that suggestion, thank you. Sean says, Huck Finn. Oh, here's another one. All Quiet on the Western Front. Do you remember that? I do remember that. That was actually adapted into into a film fairly early in the existence of film. So Yeah, and, and I don't think I ever read that one, but I, I certainly do remember it. Uh, that... It's just so neat to to go back and look at this list of books because, like you said, at the time it seemed like such an onerous part of life. Yeah, was having to read. How did we get to that point where so many of us dreaded reading? Because in school we had uh, USSR, that dreaded acronym, uninterrupted, sustained, silent reading. It was a part of our day from grade one till grade four. I don't know when they got rid of that. But my my boys, they like eat books for breakfast. They are voracious readers, voracious, voracious. Maybe I need to read more. <laughs> they 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 love reading and can like uh, Brendan will re- read a Harry Potter book in like eight days. Really? Oh yeah, he just gobbles it up. I think uh, he's on the third time through the series already. Actually, the last book when the last book came out, I read that in a day. I went and got it. I was one of the people who was there first thing, and I read it. I think it was up till like 6 o'clock the next morning, but I read it. Jason says that he read The Hobbit in grade 8 in Monsieur Cadieux's class at Ecole Regent Park. <laughs> That's where I went to school. I don't believe I had to read The Hobbit in Cadieux's class, but Monsieur Cadieux did uh, have us read Banner in the Sky, so that was in grade 7, I think. Uh, oh, here's a great title, The TV Guide. <laughs> I read that one once or twice. I used to read that all the time. Do you remember the book Paddle to the Amazon? It's about Don Starkel, who's from Winnipeg, and he actually paddled a canoe. He started out with two of his sons, finished the journey with just one of them. He paddled essentially from the forks all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico, all the way around into and out of the Amazon River. It's an amazing book, and I sat and I read that one cover to cover in one sitting. I could not put it down. Did you take a test on it after? No, it was completely, completely on my own accord. 322 on 680 CJOB. We will have a look at your forecast and then sports. McGarry, you ever been to Newfoundland? No. I've not been either. My dad, there, my dad making a an appearance again in the program twice in one day. Sorry, folks. Sorry, Dad. Uh, has been to Newfoundland, and this, they have this thing, lots of people know about, about getting screeched in. Okay. You've got to drink this terrible stuff and either kiss a codfish or a puffin's butt and then drink this absolutely horrible alcohol. If somebody out there has been screeched in or you're a newfie, uh, and I mean that in the most polite way, 204-780-6868, and uh, text us that whole thing. Uh, what is the alcohol that you drink in Newfoundland? Screech. When you get screech. Oh, it's rum. Is it rum? I believe it's rum. Okay, okay. See, overthinking You can things. buy it at the LC. You cannot. Yeah. Really? I mean, maybe, they're, maybe they are using something traditionally different, but there is a brand of rum called Screech. Interesting. At... Uh, 
at the LC. So. That's kind of what I wanted to know, if it was rum or vodka or potato vodka or something. But, of course, the part of the answer was right in the question there. People are yelling at the radio. No, Matt, Mackling, pay attention. Well, you know what? Maybe there is something different, and maybe the what I'm seeing at the LC is something... It's just a, a brand. Someone has decided to capitalize it and call themselves Screech, but maybe that's not true Screech. So, I don't know. Maybe our listeners know something different. Just shoot us a text at 204-780-6868. There is a reason I bring that up, but we will talk about that once we do this. Stuff to give away for snake oil gets twisted. I like the guitar work in this. The Snake Oil Sinners featuring Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. Monday, June 26th at the Burton Cummings Theatre. The show is described as an authentic theatrical tribute to rock's biggest stars. For this show, they've recruited one of those big stars, Dee Snyder. The song you're listening to right now is called Hot Love. sure that's not Sammy Hagar. <laughs> that's I know. a very Sammy Hagar-ish sounding song. Totally. I've never heard, like this is, is this Dee Snyder like attempting to be is. a crooner of some sort? I suppose it is. The song's even got this kind of hopeful, like yearning ballad yeah, almost sort of deal. It's a very Hagar-ish song. Wow, never heard this one. What album is it from and in what year was it released? Give us a call at 204-780-6868. Hot Love. What album is it from? Twisted Sister, and what year was it released? 204-780-6868. You and Jeff were battling over the phones there. Oh, really? <laughs> the lines were blocked, and then they got unblocked, and then they blocked again. It was. <laughs> I was going to block them one more time, but I figured that wouldn't be fair to our listeners, so I resisted the urge. The reason we brought up the screeching in, of course it's screech, Mackling. Uh, here's the headline, Yukon Sour Toe Cocktail Still available, but theft of one toe, tough to swallow. Here's a conversation about that from our friends at Global in Toronto. Hey, everybody. Hello there. So we got to tell you what was going up on Dawson City on the weekend. Everybody spends their Saturday night in a slightly different way. They have this thing called the Sour Toe Cocktail, right? You probably haven't heard of it. Yeah. There's the toe. You're meant to drink the thing. The toe's got to touch your lips. So gnarly. So someone drinks the toe on Saturday. Yep. Downs it. Yeah. And then he is Ugh. fined 500 bucks because that's the. That's the fine, the which fine. they've now increased to 2,500. They have, have they? So they they want to preserve those toes. But um bum. <laughs> but apparently they never have trouble finding the toes. Yeah. There's a lot of frostbite so up there. Because even though this is the first time that it's it's been um, swallowed, they've uh, they've lost some, some have stolen, destroyed, yeah. but they always manage oh. to find a replacement. This is a tradition that goes back to the original proprietor of this place who actually lost his toe in frostbite because it can get cold up there. Yeah, sure. And then they, they found this toe and they, they said, hey, here's a nice way to kind of... So yeah. yeah, I've got a really great idea. It beats being kissing the cod and screaming in Newfoundland. We've got to put together a list of that stuff. Okay. Okay, so you've heard of eating the worm at the bottom of the tequila bottle? Yes. Yeah, now you're going to, really? You're going to consume the toe? I think they had to do this thing on the Amazing Race Canada. I can't recall if they did that, but I'm pretty sure that was one of the things they had to get screeched in. We are getting a number of texts, by the way. Let's see here. Eve says, Screech is at the LC. It's rum. 
Thank you. Dave says, what you see at the LC is the real Screech. Andrea says, it's rum called Newfie Screech. And yes, you can buy it at the LC. An unnamed texter says, it's the real McCoy Screech. And the first text you need... Oh, rats. I did. I failed you, Andrea. She says, the first text you need to say mm-hmm. with your best Newfinese... <laughs> it's rum called Newfie Screech. <laughs> Newfie Screech. Yeah. Somebody, I, I can't really do, say this on the air, but if you take the words whale, oil, beef, and hooked and say them all really quickly, that's uh, that adds up to something that a Newfie might say. I can't say it on the air. <laughs> Just write the words down. Whale, oil, beef, and hooked, and then say them all really quickly and eventually. <laughs> You're doing this off the top of your head? No, no. Somebody told me this one. I think it was somebody from Newfoundland. I love it. Back when I worked in a call center and I was trying to get a woman uh, at the airline call center and was trying to get her from Newfoundland to San Francisco on her points. And she had to, I had to set her up on some puddle hop run where she had five or six connections. And she was she was happy to, oh, I'll just find the bar. <laughs> and then I think she told me that joke. So yeah. That's like sofa king. Yes, sofa right? king. I'm a sofa king. Yeah. Fill in the blank after that. Yeah. Uh, we have a stall here, dead truck in the middle of the intersection at St. Mary's Road and Marion. So again, dead truck, middle of the intersection at St. Mary's Road and Marion. We're going to have a look at traffic as well as weather all up next. Where's that email announcing triumphantly that the project to seal up all the all the electronics and the, the signals at the intersections had been completed by the city of Winnipeg? Where is that? email. I'm going to make my best city of Winnipeg traffic light impersonation this afternoon and just quit working. It's (laughs) raining. I can't work. We're getting text messages here. People asking about baseball and soccer. I have our game is still on. So I have my email open. I'm waiting for the, the email from team snap. Yeah. I'm waiting for the same one. (laughs) But you know what? Our kids are pumped because the they're um, an 18U team, but some of these kids are, are 16, and they're so excited because they're supposed to play at Whittier Park under the lights. Oh, and and so happen. they're really, really excited because that seems like well, big Well, we'll bring league. in Mike Conkin because this is all supposed to clear up a little bit later on if you're listening to Mike, and this is a fast-moving system, so have confidence Mike. in the system. But I the ground is very wet. That's Well, the I know. In baseball, you folks... Pack up and go when there's a little bit of oh, rain. I know that. Spoken by a true soccer dad, yeah. former soccer coach. I, uh, yeah. Facts. My Not son false news, says facts. the only thing you need to play soccer is a ball and an acting card. <laughs> well done. Hey, uh, we were talking about books. <laughs> Floppers. <laughs> we were talking about books that you were forced to read in school. And so the list has been lengthy. We haven't gotten to all of the text messages. We're going to try and compile a list here. But uh, one of our listeners said, hey, thanks for bringing up Paddle to the Amazon. Dave Starkel came to Mapleton School and spent the entire Wait week with us writing Wait a song a that included the Kyle's. Hold on. Yeah. The entire school. Looking back, it was a great experience. The books that you were forced to read in school, you ended up going to Cole's to get Cole's notes on. Well, now we know True how you that, got ahead. Especially with Grapes of Wrath. How it's many of us ended up at Cole's the day before the assignment was due to get the Cole's notes? Never once bought a Cole's notes. I did I did for Grapes of Wrath at the, towards the end because I just couldn't 
physically finish it all. And then somebody said, you read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of every chapter. Oh, good Lord. And you'll get a good sense. Seriously? Because it's a really big yeah. book. So was Grapes of Wrath, was that the one that alternated tra- chapters from descriptive to the actual story? <laughs> Each and every chapter went back and forth. Is that right? The Steinbeck, right? It, it is the Steinbeck. It is the Steinbeck anyway, book. Anyway, yeah. you should reread it. It's really good. No thanks. I'll read the Coles notes. I'll borrow your Coles notes. Of that one. Can we have the Coles notes version of the show today? Nice transition. Lots going on. We'll get you home as hopefully as safe and soundly as possible. And our global news colleagues working on some stories related to the gridlock in the city that we saw this morning and likely this afternoon as well. As we tap into that, the very latest from City Hall, where they are still meeting after some uh, procedural headaches. After the news at 4 o'clock, there's been a lot uh, in Ottawa about the anti-terrorism legislation. We'll get more information on that. And we'll also go and do some fishing. And we are going to give away tickets to to Curios. This is our curious sound effect to go to Curios. You'll have to try and identify that later on to win a pair of tickets to the show. And given how hard it is, we'll probably be doing it throughout the show. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we played it first now. I think you might be playing it tomorrow, too. Well, Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, thank you so much, the two of you. They'll have more on the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Speaking of stuff to give away, we want to congratulate Lisa Watson, who correctly identified and answered today's trivia question. We were talking about Twisted Sister. It's because of the snake oil sinners. It's snake oil gets twisted this Monday, June 26th. Snake oil sinners featuring Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. We played a song called Hot Love. Needed you to identify the album that it's from and what year it was released. The album is called Love is for Suckers, and it was released on August 1st, 1987. August 1st, by, my, by the way, my mom's birthday. That's not not really relevant, but <laughs> just is. a shout out to my mom. Uh, also need to tell you, lights out in all directions at Marion and Lajemodiere. I just re- was reading that to myself. Now you've read it aloud. Consider yourself forewarned. If you have access to a helicopter or any <laughs> other sort of transportation that is not a car in Winnipeg today, I suggest you use it. Perhaps a hovercraft or, you know, maybe if you, yeah, you know what you need is one of those inspector gadget sort of individual helicopters. The go-go gadget copter? Yeah, go-go gadget copter! Maybe uh, maybe you should uh, paddle home, a la Dan, uh, Dave, and uh, Dana Starkle. So, oh, here, St. Anne, okay, St. Anne's and Furmore, lights out. We had Marion and Lajemodier, lights out. Yes. Uh, and then St. Mary's and Furmore as well. And then Keniston and Grant, Tristan Field-Jones actually came in and said there are, there are, I think, half a dozen major intersections with the lights out. So this afternoon's drive is going to suck, put it quite frankly. <laughs> go, go, traffic center. <laughs> it's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Jeff Forte and Master Control. Godspeed on your drive home. Keep it on 680 CJOB for the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. And then don't forget about Charles Adler tonight at 9 o'clock on 680 CJOB.